Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One man that I'm sure sat up all night and watched Glenn Maxwell make his 201 not out is the general manager of the WBBL and the BBL, Alistair Dobson, who joins us this morning. G'day, Alistair. G'day, Julian. How are you? Good. You would have watched the whole innings, wouldn't you? You would have sat up all night and watched uh, Glenn Maxwell do his thing. Yeah, it was, it was pretty exciting. There were two or three of them there over the last little uh, little period in the um, in the World Cup, which was pretty amazing. So we, we can't wait to have him back tonight. I'm not sure if you saw Ben Horn's uh, article a couple of days ago in the Daily Telegraph saying, you know, the BBL could be the star of the summer this year and uh, Glenn Maxwell's the biggest star in the competition. So if he fires, it's only good news uh, for the big BBL. I'm sure you're hoping, like everyone else, that uh, Glenn spends plenty of time at the crease starting tonight. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's he's definitely one of the stars of the show. We missed him last year. We missed the whole season through injury. So not only to have him back at all, but to have him back in the form he's in is, is pretty exciting alongside, you know, all the other big names that uh, that are going to take the field over the next few nights. You're up in Brisbane. It gets underway tonight, uh, quarter past seven between the Heat and the Stars. So no excuses for Joy and Neil Maxwell uh, tonight. They can uh, watch Glenn in prime time. What's the feel around town. What sort of crowd are you expecting for the opener at the Gabba, particularly given the heat coming off a great season last year? Yeah, it's a good, really good vibe. I think, you know, with the, with the WBBL only finishing a week or so ago and rolling straight into our men's comp, there's good momentum around, around the big bash and, and that's certainly coming through in Brisbane. I think they've got, you know, some big name players. We've got Marnus and Usman playing for the heat against obviously the big name stars players that we've talked about. So, Good vibe and the heat, you know, the heat put on an amazing show, not only on the field but off the field. So expecting a big crowd and that's why we wanted to kick off in Brisbane. Do you have an overall figure for the tournament in terms of, of crowd numbers that you're, you're aiming for? Yeah, we, we work with our clubs to set targets. It's, it's a little different, a little harder this year. We've moved from a 56-game season back to a 40-game season. So that obviously will have an impact on total crowds. Um, that the, the objective is that your average crowds obviously go up and we get... Uh, we get more people into each game. So it's a little bit of a wait and see on, on exactly where that lands. But, you know, less is more and an opportunity for fans to, to come to a game is going to be a big part of the summer. Is that the general feedback you've got from your fans? I know we haven't started the season and we haven't seen the reduced season yet, but is that the general feel that less is more? Or is there some out there? I mean, there's some kids that are absolutely obsessed with their BBL that probably think less isn't more. Yeah, I think generally that's our, that's our view, and you know, a bit of a quality over quantity approach. And and we we heard from all our stakeholders, whether it be fans or players or or broadcasters, over the past few years. And and the, the cricket world shifted in terms of the, the really competitive marketplace now for players around the world, and the, and the the need for our competition to be to be agile and adapt around that's really important. And playing a shorter, sharper season, um, you know, with with the less is more mindset, I think is is certainly going to put us in good shape. We'll wait and see how that. That plays out this year. That said, there's still lots of opportunity for, for fans to uh, to come to the game and uh, and be part of the action. But um, you know, leaving people wanting more at the end of the season, I think, is a, is a good way to go. Back page of the Herald Sun today. Uh, you know, Nathan Lyon not playing uh, for the Renegade. Scott Boland not playing uh, tonight as well. Uh, off the back of you know the test starting next week. You know, the article says that surely four four overs isn't going to hurt these guys too much. Is there some disappointment there that? Those two players have been withdrawn from from the opening matches. Oh, it's always been the nature of the BBL is to play in and around the international summer. It's one of it, do, it does sometimes impact player availability, but it's also one of the great strengths of our competition that you can sit there and watch a, a test match during the day into a big big bash game, um, you know, at the night time, and, and that always comes with offset, you know, some compromise around around players. I think we work really closely with 
with our high performance part of the business on on making sure and, and assessing player availability and they do a pretty pretty good job of, of making players available when they can. I think you know, every every player's a bit different. You've got players like like Nathan who you know a bit older in their career and perhaps need need to look after themselves and then and then the quick bowlers obviously come with um, you know, other limits and other restrictions. We've got five test matches to go in this summer. So there's a long summer ahead and then and then the team actually then heads off overseas for some test matches. So it's a pretty grueling sport, five days and you know, in a test match and to have five of them coming coming pretty quickly, you know, over the next sort of two months is um you know, it's a, it's a fine balancing act. Speaking to the general manager of the WBBL and BBL, Alistair Dobson, do you agree, I'm assuming you will, with Ben Horn that uh, the BBL can be the star of the summer this year? We're hoping for, you know, a good test series against Pakistan and the West Indies, but uh, it's not that, that high-profile matchup that an England or an India or even a South Africa brings. Do you feel like the competition can be the, the main talking point of this summer? Oh, we, we definitely feel that. I think coming off, you know, an amazing not only amazing season last year, but the final in Perth in front of you know, a packed Optus Stadium and a, and a last over finish. And that was, the, that was the momentum we were really needed going into this season. And it does feel like it's still there in terms of, you know, the, the bit of buzz around the comp and obviously winning the World Cup is part of that. So, yeah, we'd love to think we can, we can play a lead role in the summer, as, as the Big Bash generally does, but perhaps this year more than others. Who are you most excited about about seeing in the competition? Obviously, uh, Quentin de Kock. That was a, a great World Cup. There's some moment, momentum behind his performances. Must have been a a bit of disappointment though. With the like, you know, Rashid Khan's been an absolute star of this competition. Harry Brook was another big name signing that are not here, but that's always going to happen. Who who are you really looking forward to seeing in the competition this year? Yeah, I think you've, you've mentioned a couple. We've talked about Glenn Maxwell. I think you'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to, to not think people are going to be traveling, following him around the country. And Quinton de Kock had a pretty amazing World Cup. And I know the Renegades, you know, considered him really hard in the draft and, and took him. And he's really excited to come and, and play in the, in the BBL. I think the, the actual reality is the player I'm looking forward to seeing is not a player anyone's heard of yet because, and we don't know who they are, because it's the heroes that come from nowhere in the BBL. And I think it's a big part of, 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 the, of the magic of our comp is that, by the end of the season, we'll be talking about a player that neither you or I have probably heard of right now. And I think, um, you know, we saw in the final yeah. last year in Perth, the winning runs actually hit by a couple of players that probably only Perth local cricket fans might have might have heard of, and now they're household names. So, you know, sitting here at the, at the end of the season, I reckon we're talking about someone that neither of us know about right now. Now, the Renegades, of course, they'll they'll play their home games at Marvel Stadium again. There was a bit of drama with the roof last year. Can you just explain how that rule has changed if the ball hits the roof in a game at Marvel Stadium this season? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. It's, it's, it's a very unlikely one. We haven't had it at all in the Big Bash, and then it happened twice in one game last year. So <laughs> that, that, that probably tells a tale of the season we had. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'll, there's different ways you can adjudicate when the ball hits the roof. But ultimately this year, it's, it's been changed to, to actually be the umpire's call. There's a bit of discretion there. And, you know, that those of you that, that of your listeners that know Marvel, basically there's two places you can hit the roof. One would be straight up, which would be naturally pretty obvious to be a dead ball. Or you can hit one of those beams that, that sort of come out over the, you know, the wing for an AFL setup. And I think if you hit one of those, you're probably pretty clearly going for six. So I think ultimately the umpires will, will adjudicate based on where it hits on the roof and um, be able to make a call there. But yeah, there was some, there's, there was um, a few different options and we debated it for a while, but that, that seemed like the most fair and the most obvious so it shouldn't be a, so it's basically umpire's call, but as you say, there's only really two places you can hit it. So it, if it does happen, and as you say, it doesn't happen that often, it, it should be a a pretty clear cut call for the umpire to make. Yeah, famous last words, but <laughs> um, but but I think uh, it should be, and, and the umpires are pretty comfortable with being able to 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 assess that on the spot. Thrilling final in the WBBL uh, last week, swings and roundabouts, uh, the strikers. Got there in the end when you, I don't know if you sit down and, and have assessed the WBBL in entirety yet, but uh, when you do, what did you make of the of the last season? Yeah, we've, we've had an initial kind of review. Obviously, we, we swing pretty quickly into the men's comp, but, um, you know, the, the WBBL is the best cricket league in the world for women, if not full stop. It's got, every, you know, the best players from every country coming to play. And, and I think the season played out that way, really competitive uh, really a competitive season and, and to to get down to a, a last over finish at the Adelaide Oval in front of a big crowd, I think, you know, pretty much captures the, the W the essence of the WBBL. Um, we love that. We, you know, we're really proud of that competition. We, the, the players are amazing and it's continuing to grow. So we'll, we'll, we certainly initially view it as a really successful season. Things we keep wanting to, to improve and change and, 
um, and adapt. But, um, yeah, that's really healthy. So final four this season as opposed to a final five in previous years. What was, what was the main thinking behind reducing the finals to four teams? Yeah, I think ultimately when when you reduce the, when you have a, a mandate or a, an objective of reducing the, the length of the season, uh, it makes sense that the final should follow suit. A four a four team final series in an eight team competition is probably right. We had a couple of years of five teams in it, which which worked at the time, but you know I think coming back to a four game uh, series at the end of a, of the competition is about right. Um, pretty straightforward decision in the end. So if we touch base at the end of the season, which I'm sure we will, Alistair, and it's. I say, what's made this a successful BBL season? What what are some of the measurements you look for? Yeah, I think that'd be the obvious ones around crowds and, and TV audiences, and we, you know, early signs are really are really strong on both on both of those. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the, the on field um, close games and 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 heroes being made. I think we, as I said earlier, we, um, you know, the, the big talking point out of the big bash is often the player that that no one's heard of. And I think, you know, when we sit down at the end of the year and assess which players had an impact, um, you know, that, that'll be really interesting. Got a few coming through off our 40 Wings temper here, Alistair, about the roof. Now, did did you ever consider, did someone in there consider, hits the roof, catch one hand, you're out? Did it ever come into the thinking? Oh, we, 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 went, we went pretty wild, wild and wide. And, yeah, that would have been one of them. You know, um, one, one hand, one bounce off the roof is probably... Very big bash in its uh, in its in its nature. So um, yeah, we, we definitely talked about all those options, and um, you know, in, in the end, you come back to something that's pretty pretty straightforward from a cricket perspective. So Scorchers, uh, defending champions, we still haven't had a win in the competition for the Stars or the Hurricanes. Uh, what's your prediction this year? Come finals time, who do you think will be playing off for the title? Oh, it, it'll be hard to go past the Scorchers again. They're going for three in a row, and and they've just got. You know, a, you know a, well, once in a generation ch- uh, talent pool, I think over there, the amazing depth and, and the way that that team comes together. So they'll be thereabouts, and and, I, and I, I do think the two Melbourne teams are pretty well placed with with some, you know, some some local stars that are playing and some and some pretty good recruitment, you know, from around the world. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Melbourne team in the mix alongside Perth. But one of the great things about the the BBL is with eight teams and talent spread pretty evenly and, and a bit of movement year on year. Um, it, literally anyone can win it. Um, it's not like necessarily having to build over multiple years for a team, like perhaps in a footy code where you have a, you have a, a longer lead in to build a winning team. You can you can go from bottom to top overnight in the BBL. So sitting here right now, it's pretty hard to pick. Uh, we can't wait for it to get underway. You can hear every game here live on SEN. It all gets underway tonight. The Brisbane Heat hosting the Melbourne Stars. Uh, what sort of weather are you looking up in uh, Brisbane to, for tonight's yeah. game? Yeah, pretty nice. It's it's very Brisbane weather, so it'll be sunny and, and pretty warm and um, exactly the way we want to kick it off. Beautiful. Alistair, let's hope it starts with a bang tonight and uh, we look forward to the BBL from tonight and uh, throughout the summer. Thanks again for your time. Anytime. But it's been a big year in the world of football, uh, particularly for the Matildas. They won the Don Award uh, last week for their efforts at the World Cup. Didn't finish on a high, lost both the friendlies uh, to Canada, 5-0 on the weekend and 1-0 uh, yesterday afternoon. So just to put the year in perspective, talk about the Socceroos and some other issues in f- football. It's a great chance to speak to Robbie Thompson, uh, Channel 10 and Paramount Plus commentator. Hello, Robbie. Good morning, Julian. How are you going? Very well. Uh, great to speak to you again. What did you make of the two performances uh, from the Matildas against Canada and, and how much should we read into them uh, as we, I guess, building up to an Olympic campaign next year? Yeah, it was an interesting one. Certainly the overall feeling was underwhelming, I think, after, I mean, there's such a hype around the team that any time they don't win and, and perform with that energy that we saw at the World Cup, I think we come away feeling a little bit underwhelmed. There were reasons for it. I mean, this was probably after the Olympic qualifiers in Perth, which was, Another resounding success for the for the team. Those three matches, three wins, thirteen goals scored. This was the only opportunity really this year to try and try something different, if you like, in two matches that are really just friendly matches and perhaps open to a little experimentation. That's certainly the the word that came out of out of camp that that's what these two matches were going to be used for. There's also the fact that these were the friendly matches, two very important games for Canada because they were seeing off a trio of, mm. of Olympic gold medalists who are retiring, including Christine Sinclair, who's the greatest goal scorer of all time in international football, men's and women's combined. 
So look, they wanted to send her off in style, but uh, look, t it takes nothing away. I don't think. I certainly hope from from what has been that incredible year for the Matildas. And look, every time you go out, you want to win. It didn't happen. The five nil defeat was 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 a bit shocking. There were plenty said after that game as well. One nil yesterday was a different performance. It was still we lacked that little cutting edge. There was no Sam Kerr. There was no Mackenzie Arnold, and it still could have could have happened but there was just that energy missing but look it's been an amazing year and I don't think it should take anything away from it no 100% as you say Sam Kerr missing yesterday there's no Courtney Vine unfortunately no a couple of weeks ago Holly McNamara suffered that ACL tear just looking ahead to the Olympics and obviously there's a really good core of Matildas there is squad depth still a bit of an issue for Tony Gustafson well we were having a chat about this um, in between the two games with the with me and Grace Gill and the other the other people on the panel, just because there's been so much talk for so long about this golden generation. And we're talking about a group of players, you know, eight or nine of them have over 100 caps. I mean, this is an experienced group of players. And when you, when you think that they're still, you know, late 20s, early 30s now, They've still got another couple of years in them. I don't think it's alarm bells shouldn't be ringing just yet. Um, and also, when you have a team that is performing and competing at the very highest level, which is what the Matildas are doing now, we've never had really a team competing at this level in football regularly. You can't afford to take your foot off the gas. You've got to play your best players. I mean, you've got to look for new players coming through, but that's where you want your under-23 sides, your under-21 national teams your development programs to be trying to lift to the level of the of your of your senior team and get them in. I think there's there's pressure on this team now, um, which we love. I think um, at the Olympics for the Olympics anyway next year, we're gonna be sticking with a, a very similar looking squad. The World Cup squad was twenty three. The Olympic squad is only eighteen. Mm. So already we're talking about shedding five players from that World Cup squad. And, and then thinking perhaps are there new players that can force their way into that? That's a big ask. That's a very big ask in less than a year, year's sort of 12 months of football to try and cut out nearly a quarter of your squad and also perhaps insert a new player. Holly McNamara probably would have been that player um, just because she was so unlucky to miss out on the World Cup. She was looking like she was going to be part of that, that second ACL injury put paid to that and now a third ACL injury in just a in just three years. I mean, it's heartbreaking mm. for her. And she is probably the player that would have been in there. And Courtney Vines currently out injured, like you said, as well. I mean, these are players that are going to come back. It's going to be tough. I think, I think basically, I think the Olympic squad is there and it will be ready to perform. Don't forget, we were semifinals at the Olympics in Tokyo as well. So this team, this squad feels like it has unfinished business. And perhaps, you know, sticking with them is the best bet. I guess we probably shouldn't put the, the cart before the horse, Robbie. We've still got to qualify for the Olympics. Uh, exactly. It's in February it's next true. year against Uzbekistan. <laughs> is there, I mean, we should get through Uzbekistan, but uh, I guess nothing's a certainty in football. No, absolutely. And we've seen that, you know, it took until midway through the second half to open the scoring against Chinese Taipei in that final game in Perth. It took an absolute screamer from Mary Fowler. Um, we saw in the men's game, for, for perhaps listeners that are more familiar with that, Saudi Arabia beat Argentina at the World Cup last year and Argentina went on to win it. So, you know, there's no such thing anymore as a, as a given, as an easy game, particularly in the women's game where it's growing so fast and, and other countries are putting a lot of money into the women's game as well. Uzbekistan, look, they're not a force at the moment. They're an emerging force in the men's game in Asia and they're going to be a handy team probably at the Asian Cup. Um, next early next year for for the Socceroos perhaps to have to negotiate at some point, but but for um for the Matildas they should get through. I mean they should get through. It's it's important as you say not to put the horse before the cart. But all things being equal, the Matildas should get through that. We're away first in Uzbekistan, but then the home game, which there was some talk that it could be played at the MCG in front of a hundred thousand, that would be an intimidating atmosphere for any visiting team. So that's the, the sort of conversations we're having around the Matildas at the moment is filling 100,000-seater stadiums. They should get through. They should be going to do Australia proud at the Olympics next year. Just on the Olympics, uh, Robbie, it's been to Robbie Thompson, Channel 10 Paramount Plus uh, football commentator. How shocked were you to read yesterday that uh, Team Great Britain will not be there? Yeah, it is. 
it is shocking, but you know, this is it's one of the great anomalies with football. Why? Why? I mean, the only country, Great Britain or the United Kingdom, actually, they're the only nation that's allowed to have four regions playing um, national team football, if you like, in England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. So when it comes to the Olympics, that doesn't get through. That's a FIFA directive. So football allows and you know rugby and other and other sports because they're so different they have you know they have their own currency their own governments etc but it's the united kingdom is the country great britain is the is the country so perhaps you know it's it's always a little bit shocking but i don't even know if they'd really perform amazingly well anyway we saw we we beat them at the the last olympics the women but there's no doubt that england as themselves are are an outstanding football team in the women's game we know they're european champions made the final of the World Cup as well. It is shocking. More shocking was perhaps the, the way it happened. I mean, yes. they beat Scotland 6-0 <laughs> and they were going through and the Netherlands scored two goals after the 90th minute to, to secure their place ahead of them. So, look, that's the other thing about the Olympics. It's only a 12-nation competition as well. So it's really the, the elite of the elite. People are saying, oh, it's, you know, England aren't going to be there. It's not, it's not going to be a great competition. It's going to be a great competition because it's the Olympics. It's everything that the Olympics represent and and the Matildas, fingers crossed, will be there in Uzbekistan. Yeah, the Belgians uh, let the English down badly. Just looking ahead to the Asian Cup for the Socceroos, Robbie, just with the Bruno Fornaroli's been in outstanding form for Melbourne victory this year. Seven goals in his six matches so far. Does he have a role to play at the Asian Cup? Julian, I, I, I know you're a very avid follower of it as well. I'd throw it back to you because I'm, I'm looking at this as, you know, I have a certain technical um, vision of, of what he does and what he brings, but also as a fan, I want someone like that on, on the pitch doing what he's doing. He is in outstanding form. I was so lucky to, to be calling that game last, last Sunday. And the game was nothing special for, you know, for 45 minutes. And then suddenly this moment of absolutely breathtaking inspiration I mean, he nutmegs his first player, uses his strength, rolls a player, and then the execution of that goal was just outstanding. And that moment shows what he's capable of. But it's the other 90 minutes where he runs himself into the ground, where he demands more of his teammates, where he is a leader um, emotionally, technically, everything. I think you want that sort of player in this squad. Yes, he's 36 years of age. Yes, you know, I I don't think the the naturalisation... Um, argument should even come into it at all. We've had, we've got, you know, several Scottish-born Australians in, in the side. Yep. I think if there is a question mark, it's the fact that he's 36 years of age. But he is in some of the best form we've seen him in Australia. He is an outstanding player, and that technical vision that maybe I can bring to this this discussion then is the fact that he brings something very different. Yep. He won't press like Mitch Duke. He won't press like Jamie McLaren but he can play back to goal. He can be a target, unlike any other player we have, against sides that are going to sit back and play, you know, a packed defence against us. He can be that anchorage point in the, in the front of the attack. Players can play off him. Players can move off him. And he's got ice-cold blood running through his veins when it comes to being a player in front of goal, as his seven goals in six games a test this year. So, look, I think it's, a, it's definitely a conversation that Arnie has to have with his assistant coaches and they'll be looking very carefully at it. But look, Jason Cummings and Grand Quall went to the last World Cup on the strength of their A-League yep. form. They were not in the reckoning up until, you know, just week. Grand Quall was not in the reckoning until the World Cup squad was announced, basically. And he went and almost got that equalising mm-hmm. goal against Argentina. I think, I think, look, I think they're open to it. I think Bruno's showing that he, he loves playing for the green and gold. It's a dream of his. And I, I don't think you lose anything. He does, we're not saying he has to start every no, game that's right. at, the, at, the, at the Asian Cup. He brings you something. He gives you an option. And I just think he's, he's such a talented footballer. I'd say take him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, scoring goals for the Socceroos has been an issue. And if he's someone you can yeah. bring off the bench if you need a goal, it makes perfect sense if he keeps this form going. Robert, just on the A-League, it's been a fascinating opening six weeks. It's, it's hard to get a read on who's good and who's not when you look at, you know, Melbourne City, traditional pace setters in seventh place. Uh, Sydney have had their struggles. Both those teams have changed managers. The Mariners are really struggling. The defending champions in the top four at the moment, Phoenix, Western Sydney, MacArthur and the Brisbane Raw. Uh, It's hard to get a read on how this season's sort of going to play out. 
Exactly. And the biggest concern probably is that we're coming up to week seven um, this weekend with, with another, you know, really exciting round of fixtures and some huge matches as well. But we're almost a quarter of a way through the season. And you always think when you have these surprising starts to a campaign, oh, yeah, but it'll even out. Central Coast will come back. Melbourne City will come back. Sydney will be there. Brisbane, MacArthur, they can't keep going. Wellington, we're a quarter of the way through the season nearly. And they're there. Wellington Phoenix are undefeated. MacArthur undefeated. I mean, these are these are teams that we've never seen this sort of form this deep into a season, even if it's, you know, we're just starting to really start to warm up. But they're there. Um, and I think alarm bells will be ringing for the likes of Western United, you know, champions two years ago, five defeats in a row. The Mariners, we thought they'd turned the corner, but they've only got one win so far this season. Melbourne City, just two wins out of six. Um, we've seen coaching changes. It's been, it's been a really dramatic start to the season. And the, the most important thing, and this is perhaps the, the thing that we have to get across to football fans in Australia, is that the games are super entertaining. They are. They're super competitive. And like Fornaroli, we're seeing some quality that is, that is just outstanding that you wouldn't see anywhere else in the world. You can watch your Premier League, your, your Liga. You turn it on here. Perhaps some games, the intensity is not there. Perhaps, you know, there are, the crowd's not there. But in terms of the football on the pitch, our footballers deserve so much more credit than they get here. Yeah, and we're producing some great young players. Uh, as we know, I'm going to talk to you about the English Premier League. So Manchester City, uh, three draws, get beaten by Aston Villa this morning. And normally when we see in Man City lose a game, a lot of the times they've had the bulk of chances, the bulk of possession. Villa, 22 shots to two this morning, seven on target. Uh, so City are on 30 points. Manchester United are in crisis. They're throwing, they're banning journalists from press conferences. There's talk about Eric Ten Hag's future. They're three points behind Manchester City that are seen as the best team in Europe and still probably the favourite to win the English Premier League, even though they're six points behind Arsenal. And you've worked in Europe. It is fine lines between you're going well or you're in a crisis uh, in leagues like the English Premier League. Absolutely. It is crazy. And you're, right. you're absolutely right. Manchester United. I mean, the problem for Manchester United probably is that at the moment it's all or nothing. Yep. And, and, and Premier, League, Premier League is probably one of the leagues that can still stand alone without needing a little footnote of how they're going in Europe. But Manchester United's European form is probably also affecting mm. this discussion a little bit. They've had some fairly, not humiliating, but surprising results in, in Europe as well. The problem is it's nine wins and six defeats yep. for Manchester United. Yeah, no it's draws this season. Nothing at the moment. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Not not a single draw. They're conceding goals. Um, they're not scoring perhaps as many. And that you know, Manchester United are traditionally a dominant side. They they dominate. They score freely. They they don't just win. They they play with style and and wallop sides. I mean, that's their tradition. And these traditions uh, are important in the English game as well. It's like Barcelona at the moment, who are you know right up there still, but they're struggling a little bit in Spain and. The fans are just furious, calling for the head of their coach, saying, this is not Barcelona football. This is not what we want. And I think that's the thing that's affecting Manchester United at the moment. A word on Aston Villa. You say I worked in Europe for a number... I worked with Unai Emery, Brilliant. who was at PSG for, for three years. And he is such a meticulous coach. And I think Aston Villa, what he's doing, that's 14 wins mm. at home in a row. Arsenal were the last team to beat them at home. And that was in February... Of, of, of this year. I mean, they are on an outstanding run. Um, and Unai, what, what the, most, the thing that strikes you the most about Unai when he works is how he leaves absolutely nothing to chance. You talk about those statistics, he would think that's absolutely normal. I was part of, you know, at PSG when we beat Barcelona 4-0. And this was the, the great Barcelona side. And they didn't have a look in because he had planned every single moment of the match, every possible eventuality, every single thing that a player has to do at every moment of the game. And in the end, at PSG, it didn't work out because there were probably too many egos in the dressing room to be told this at every step of the way what to do. But if you have a team, he had amazing success with Seville in yep. Spain, Sevilla. He had great success with Villarreal as well. He comes to Aston Villa, which is one of the underrated sides, a traditional giant of the English game but not those egos. He's got players that, are will, that say, when he says into the dressing room, look, if I do this and this and this and this, if you do what I say, we're going to go 14 games undefeated. We're going to beat Manchester City and not give them even a sniff 
of a result in the Premier League. We'll be sitting third after 15 games. You know, at a bigger club at Real Madrid, you'll have players go, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> at Aston Villa, they go, oh, my goodness, please. We will do whatever you want if that's the case. And that's what they're doing. And that's what he's doing. This is the perfect environment for him. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see whether a big club comes knocking if he continues that. Aston Villa is a big club, but I mean the real big clubs that they come knocking if he keeps that up. Uh, Robbie could chat for ages. Love catching up uh, to talking the world of footy. Another great weekend in the A-League and A-League women's coming up as well. Thanks again for your time. Fantastic, George. Speak to you soon. Welcome back to the show. Uh, earlier in the show, we were talking about uh, media access off the back of what Hutchie and Damien Barrett said on the sounding board. They'd like to see more media access to some of the big sports here in Australia. And we've certainly seen that over the last few years uh, via the test on Amazon Prime. If you remember the first one, it uh, was early on in Justin Langer's reign off the back of Sandpaper Gate. And then Series 2 uh, took us through um, you know, the time that uh, Justin uh, lost his job. Tim Payne lost his job as captain. But I think Series 3 might be the best because it's going to focus on that unbelievable Ashes tour of 2023. And one of the series directors, Aidy Brown, has been good enough to join us. Uh, morning, Aidy. Morning, Jules. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, I'd imagine you got, you're, you're not short of content for this series, given what happened in England uh, in their summer. No, there were a few talking points, I'm sure, that uh, <laughs> immediately spring to mind, isn't it? Which, um, when people think back of that UK tour, which, you know, and also not to forget the World Test Championship as part of that as well. So, yeah, there's, there's plenty to focus on. Absolutely. Um, and I, I can't wait for it to, to come out. Have you got just some details around it? When will we be able to see it uh, on Amazon Prime? It'll be next year. Um, you know, we're still sort of locked away in edit suites at the moment, sort of feverishly looking through, you know, every every minute, every second of footage and, and the details of every moment, everything that's captured because we need to just, you know, you need to watch every frame and, and follow up with interviews for, you know, various discussion points to lead into next stories and next stories. So we're still working our way through it, um, but it'll be in 2024. So it's certainly something to keep an eye out. I'm sure our momentum will build towards that. But um, at the moment, we're still, <laughs> we're still focused on making sure we can tell all the story because one of the catches is, as much as there's those big moments that people immediately go back to, there's a lot of smaller little moments um, that possibly I think would be great to uncover and show people for the first time, given the access that we were um, given. So it's the third time you've done it. it. Has it has it changed over the journey in terms, do you feel like the players and all the key players are more comfortable around the cameras, if you sense to change, is it, is it different to under Andrew McDonald to what it was under Justin Langer? No, it's not. It's not certainly not with like the cameras um, within the change rooms or that access. Certainly not at all. I, I think if the biggest change that we've really probably noticed in this this series would be just sitting down with the players and talking about their experience and naturally where they go and and whether that's. You know, that might be, a, you know, the third time around that suddenly they're completely comfortable that if we were to sit in a room and say, hey, what happened this day or this moment or take me back to what you were feeling or thinking. Here, they give more than ever that they'll say, here's my inner thoughts about this moment. Here's what I'm happy to tell. Whereas maybe early on, we worked that relationship of trust out. But now after, you know, certainly two series of going to air and numerous interviews with, with every player that, there's a great level of trust that they're willing to open up. and But, but then also on that, you, you think it's really fascinating to think that when this series started, that's when Travis Head and Manus, you know, they made the debut back in yeah. Dubai. Um, you know, and you look at all these processes now, and that's effectively, what, 2018, 2019. So you're sort of four years on, and everyone grows in the space of four years and you know, comfortable with who they are and... And, you know, life also changes within that period of time. You know, you see Pat suddenly, you know, become a father and, and different players become fathers, you know, Travis Head and, and whatever else. So all that changes perspective as well and probably changes their approach. Yeah, and of course we saw that, you know, the tragedy this year as well of Pat, uh, Pat Cummins uh, losing, he, losing his mum. I'm, I'm a, a big focus will obviously be what happened at Lords just as a director and, you know, your, your production team, when you were sitting back and seeing what was happening at Lords, what was going through your mind, given that uh, you knew you were going to produce a, a documentary off the back of, of the series? 
it's funny because you sort of I just remember that sort of seeing it and oh well that's yeah, great we win we win we're two nil up and then it just become the sort of news item it became almost a couple of days after the fact wasn't it when people sat back and said hang on and then the spirit of cricket debate was thrown in into discussion so you're certainly there going wow this is amazing and it, I think every test match I've had an amazing moment that we would come back sort of to the office every day and sort of talk and go cannot believe it happened oh what about this what about that and then just in every test match, and more so even, I think, from what we've found, because, it, you know, that unique experience being Australian, what the Australian team in the UK, well, some people do, but you may not be able to turn up for work the next day because, you know, you haven't slept. So it's that you uncover, I'm sure, Australian audiences feel to go, oh, wow, well, that detail. I knew that happened overnight, but I didn't know the extent of it and I didn't know the nuance to it or whatever else, with the people getting the chance to relive this and then relive it with those little moments as they happen and as they unfold. Adi, I might just see if you can take a step to your left or your right. Your phone's just cutting out uh, a little bit. But you mentioned before sometimes it's it's not the obvious stories that certainly emerge throughout a documentary like this one. Can you give us any little insight of of something that emerged during the tour that uh, will be shown potentially in this documentary that that people might not know about? Serious things, and they're probably they're more personable stories that, you know, as much as it's the crew that we focus on and, and the wins and losses, but you also want to delve deep into the characters, you know, behind the team. And that's, you know, the motivations for Usman Kawaii and returning to, to the UK to play cricket, you know, which wasn't a great play for him, you know, in bio tours or it's it's those moments with Nathan Lyon, you know, um, post doing it, you know, he went through the next day to, to the pad out to bat. Uh, it's Todd Murphy, you know, making his debut. The story of Mitch Marshall is a fascinating one with I would have just go deeper into Mitch's story. And then Again, it, it, I sort of mentioned before how in every test match there's moments, but you think about that first test match at the run chase at Edgbaston, um, Pat Cummins and Nathan Lyon, just hearing the nuances within that of, oh, that's quite funny, fascinating, that's, that will be something that people yeah. Wait for the first time. Yeah, can't wait for it, uh, Aidy. The first two have been absolutely compelling, and uh, this one, as I say, I think will top the lot. Uh, good luck as you sift through uh, what you can keep in and what, unfortunately, uh, won't make the cut. We can't wait to see it on Amazon Prime in 2024. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks. Hamish Carton does join me in the studio. Uh, Hamish, uh, welcome. Uh, how's life in Melbourne? Loving it, absolutely loving it. Been here for what just coming up to four months, and uh, it's much warmer than than Scotland <laughs> where I've come from. So that's uh, that's lovely. Everyone told me, Aussies told me, you won't like it because it's so cold. You've picked the coldest part of Australia, forgetting the fact I'd come from Scotland. So mm. loving it, weather, people, um, just the the lifestyle. It's been amazing. I did notice one of your early tweets, though. You did. Uh, you learnt pretty quickly the four seasons in one day is is a relevant thing here in Melbourne. Everyone told me about it, but you kind of play it down and think, ah, nah, they're just exaggerating. But it, it really is crazy. M- my girlfriend, even more so, she um, when she's going to work in the morning, she she has a nightmare every morning trying to work out what to pack. Does she bring the umbrella? Does she bring a jacket? Is she going to be too warm with a jacket on? So yeah, it's a it's a strange place. So just tell us why. You came to Melbourne, and you're not that obsessed with Ange, are you? That you just wanted to follow and live his life. Why did you yourself and your and your girlfriend decide to come and live in Melbourne? Yeah, it was just a, a time in our life to to do it. Quite quite a lot of people from from the UK and, and Ireland are are doing it at the moment. And yeah, as, as I say, you know, no no real commitments at the moment back home. So just a time to to come out and yeah, the, the Ange stuff is a bit of a coincidence, but. Um, I don't know, maybe it played a small part because, you know, my, my previous job did a lot of chatting to, to Aussies uh, about Ange and, and always came across well. So maybe there was a bit in the back of my mind thinking I'd quite like to go out there. So you've come from Scotland, football mad. Obviously, yeah. Rangers and Celtic is is just huge and you're you're a Celtic man. And now you've come to Melbourne where it is sports mad, but it's not necessarily world game 
mad. What has that taught you about Ange's journey even further? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I've been to a couple of well, three A-League games, a couple of uh, victory games and a, a Melbourne City game. And it is, you know, a, a very different world. Again, I was coming into that with, with my eyes open. I was aware that that would be the case. But um, yeah, even like the, the, the coverage that, um, you know, football gets in this country compared to back home where it is the main event by you know I'd say 90% of the newspapers the sport part of the newspapers are taken up by football here it's very different it's funny when we arrived initially because it was during the the World Cup with the Matildas doing really well yeah. we actually turned up and everywhere was football you probably thought hang on a second I know, this is a football country <laughs> I know and then it kind of died away a little bit but um, that was cool but in terms of Angie it, it does bring it back home when you you realise the the kind of environment that he's been functioning in previously, and the fact that he's managed to get to a stage where he can, uh, you know, come to Scotland and then obviously England. And um, I remember some quotes when he was at Celtic when he spoke about the fact that being in a place where that is absolutely obsessed by football and um, was what he had always craved in his life. Um, and you can see that now. Um, not not to put anything against you know Australia because mm. you're mad about so many sports, and I think that's amazing. But obviously football's a little bit down. Yeah, one of the rare countries with four football codes. It's, it, it, it is a competitive environment, and as you're probably well aware in this town, it's Aussie rules football is. Is King, you got a fan here off the 40 Wings temper. Can't wait to hear from Hamish. His YouTube channel was the best on Celtic news and Scottish football. Can't wait to hear his thoughts on the Melbourne sporting culture, A-League, AFL, etc. So you've been to a few A-League games. You've even been to, I think, a VPL game, mm-hmm. Victorian Premier League. What, what did you take out of the experience of going to Australian football? You can have alcohol at the game. That's I was going to say, <laughs> I did see one of your photos. It's, for those that aren't aware, you can't drink at your seat if you go to football in, in the UK. So in Scotland, you can't drink at all inside the stadium. Not and, even before the game? No. Because in it, England, you can. In England, you can. Yeah. We had a big thing, surprisingly, a Celtic Rangers match in the 80s. There was big crowd uh, trouble at that. And since then, no, we've had a blanket, surely not. blanket ban on um, on alcohol. We, so you can't get drink inside of any Scottish football stadium. So little things like that are, are, are nice. Um yeah, I think the quality is good. Um, I think teams try to pass the ball, which again is a, a refreshing change from Scotland where a lot of teams other than maybe Celtic and Rangers play a more direct game. So I've enjoyed the matches I've gone to. You've got some very kind of talented players. You know, Aaron, Aaron Kunda would be the kind of obvious one yeah. at the moment that's gone. I saw him against Victory a month or so ago. Um, the atmosphere is the one thing that I've kind of found has been lacking a, a mm. little bit. Victory games have been fine, but if you can just find a way to get more fans into mm. stadiums then I think the league could really go. Let's go way back to the start of Ange's time at Celtic. We've had some fun on this station uh, when Ange was going well. Just repeating that audio from Alan Brazil who just scoffed at the suggestion, who is this guy? What are Celtic doing? This is a joke. So when you first heard that the new manager of Celtic was going to be Ange Postacoglu, what do you think? So the thing that people kind of forget is that the whole Ange name came up after months and months of Celtic being linked with another manager, mm. Eddie Howe, who's yep. obviously at Newcastle now. So Eddie Howe was the guy everyone was yeah. fixated on. He was Very a big good manager. Name. We all, yeah, exactly. We all knew about him. He was a headline name. And then that all crashed and burned, and that was really disappointing. And then within an hour or two, we heard this name that nobody had ever heard of, or certainly very few people had ever heard of, Ange Postacoglu. I certainly had never heard of him. I know he'd managed at a World Cup, um, but I can genuinely say I didn't know the name. And uh, as you say, there was a, a period where there was a lot of uh, noise made by certain people, a lot of it nonsense, like you know the Alan Brazil clip and stuff about Ange not having the relevant coaching yeah, qualifications right. yeah. and all of that nonsense that was just nonsense. And then he opened his mouth and as Ange does, you just kind of fall in love with what he's saying and then you watch his team play and you fall in love with the way they're playing and just the the belief grows um, and the rest is is history. I mean, it wasn't, unlike at Tottenham where he hit the ground running and the team started winning straight away, that wasn't the same at Celtic. Was it not until the wins came that people started to fall in love with him or was it right from the start the way he spoke that people were like, mm, yeah, this, this guy might be okay? Yeah, I remember his first competitive game, a, a Champions League game against Mitchelland and I think there was only 9,000 in the stadium due to kind of COVID re- restrictions but he came out at the start of the game after doing his kind of media pr- uh, interview and, and got a standing ovation from everyone inside the stadium so I think even before we'd properly kicked a, a ball competitively there was a feeling of really 
getting behind him because like what other option do you have you you can either revolt against him and that's doing no one uh, you know any good or you can get right behind him but I, th- I think there was an initial feeling but obviously as the results improved um, people just absolutely fell in love with him what are, what are people like about Ange the person? I just I just think he's he's honest. Um I think he's got really, you know, good values as well. Um and just uh, just the way he comes across in in the media. I mean, uh, it's genuinely not an exaggeration to say in in two seasons in Scotland, I don't think he said the wrong thing once in, in any media interview in any press conference. And I think the thing people love most about him is that, you know, he's a he's a football fan, he's a dreamer. Um, I remember before we played Real Madrid in, in the Champions League, there was a, a question you know asked of him about whether we should you know should look to dampen expectations, and his answer was basically no. Mm. I want fans to dream, and fans don't want to kind of have their expectations curtailed. No. We, we want to dream, and I think that's what was was so likable about him, and I think that's what you just feel as if you're part of something when he's your manager and. Um, I think we're we're seeing that with Spurs at the moment. You mentioned the Champions League there. Look, it, it, Rangers are go- sorry, Celtic are going well in the league. Eight points clear of Rangers. It looks like at this stage Celtic will probably win the league again. But Europe's always been a, a struggle, and you know you, the budgets are very different for some of the teams you're playing against. Just if if Ange stuck around for another two or three years, do you think he could have progressed Celtic in the Champions League? Yeah, I mean it's a huge ask, as you say. Um, and to be fair, I mean, we weren't, we're not being good this season in the Champions League, but we weren't really last season either. I think we took two points from 18. I would have liked to have seen Ange this year in charge or even next year just continuing to, to build something. But yeah, it's, there's just no guarantees. It's just such a, like, it's hard for people to get their heads around, but we, we go from playing like a team like Ross County with, with very little money and mm. And all of that stuff to play in Atletico Madrid, one of the top teams in, in world football, three or four days later. And it's it's such a jump and there's not many teams have to have that kind of jump in Europe. So it's such a challenge for, for Celtic. Um, and I think we would have been possibly better with Ange, but it's like it's an impossible question. Was I mean, listening to, you know, talk back over in the UK, it doesn't seem like there's any resentment from Celtic fans towards Ange for leaving. Was there any initially? Yeah, there's a little bit. Um, it's like, yeah, there's always a feeling when someone has the, the audacity to, to leave the club that you all love. Um, there's always going to be a little bit of that. I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel it a little bit myself. Like, oh, why are you leaving? But mm. these things happen. And, it, you know, I think it was just Spurs were as big a club as he was ever going to go to directly from Celtic. That was as big a job as he was going to get. So I think the, the stars just aligned for... For Ange, and I think now, certainly judging from my, you know, Twitter or, or X feed, um, you when when Spurs are playing, you you see positive tweets about Ange, and it's more people just kind of sad he's no longer the the manager. Um, but people generally want him to do well, and I think as as time goes on, that will just grow. You know, time will be a healer for for even those kind of scorned people. I'll ask you about his time at, at Tottenham and a few more of your impressions about Australia after the break. Just earlier in the show, we we're talking about. Um, Media access in Australia. I mean, you compared to the United States, where you walk into a locker room after a game, you can talk to anyone for thirty minutes. And here in Australia, is a little bit different. Just what's it like with football over in Scotland? I mean, in Australia, you can just walk down to Collingwood here and watch them train. What what's sort of the media access like at big clubs like Celtic and Rangers in terms of fans watching training? How much access do you get during the week and on match day to to players, coaches, etc.? Yeah, very kind of protected in mm. in Scotland. Um, yeah, I'd say even from a kind of limited experience here, it seems to be more open. Um, yeah, you get a, a kind of media press conference prior to to matches. I think European matches, you, you're allowed to watch training um, prior to them, but that's more of a UEFA thing than a, a Scottish thing. Um, and other than that, like one on one interviews would be reserved for um, kind of broadcasting mm. partners. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's a little it's a little bit of a challenge to be honest, and you know Celtic specifically can can be quite protective mm. of of their players. Um, it's one of the things that I think Scottish football should um, you know look to open up because like we don't we don't have a lot going for us sometimes, especially in comparison to the money mm. down south in England, and I think there's certain things that we could do to to open it up. 
Welcome back to the show. Hamish Carton joins me in the studio. He wrote the book, How Han- Ange Postacoglu Brought the Fire Back to Celtic. He and his uh, girlfriend are now living in Melbourne, as we said before the break. A lot of people want to know, have you been to an AFL game? And if so, have you adopted a team? So I've been to one. Uh, it was a finals match. It was um, St Kilda against GWS Giants. St Kilda got absolutely battered. Sorry, um, Ross. Sorry, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apologies, Ross. Um yeah, uh, in terms of having a team, the answer is no. I've I've had lots of su- suggestions, probably from some of your listeners on, yeah. on Twitter. It's always what I get, or support them. In fact, more than support them, it's usually don't support them for yeah, whatever reason. I think reason. that's generally and right. Yeah, don't support Carlton. Don't, no, don't support do Collingwood. Don't do that. <laughs> don't don't support whoever else. Richmond. Um, don't do that. So I'm kind of uh, waiting on feeling a team. I didn't quite feel it with St Kilda. Fair enough too. But maybe maybe I'll go and see every team in the new season and yeah, just feel, feel it. What did you make of the game? Did you understand it? Had you seen much of it on television? Yeah, I'd, I'd never watched watched the game. Um, when I went to that initial match, no, I didn't really understand it. But then I watched some of the, the kind of matches in the, the following weeks, including the grand final with commentary and, and understood it a bit better. It's a, it's a great sport. Like It's a, it's a really entertaining sport. Um, can kind of be at such a lull and then just burst into life within within seconds. So uh, the, the big shame for me is how long you guys wait to start your, your new season because I just want it now. It's just <laughs> it's like, Mar- is it March? Yeah, March. Yeah, start of yeah, March. It's, yeah, a, it's, long a, it's a long off-season compared to, to European football. Just a couple more off our 40 Wings temper here. Uh, can you ask Hamish if anyone has ever said that he sounds like the Scottish comedian Kevin Bridges? Oh, really? Has anyone ever I said that to you? I saw him before? a couple of weeks ago here. Yeah, he, he was, was here, wasn't he? Was he? Yeah. I, I, don't, I think that's just a lazy Scottish, every <laughs> Scottish person sounds the same <laughs> stereotype. Right. Uh, big hi to Hamish, massive Celtic supporter here since the 90s. I saw Hamish at the MCG for the grand final parade, but I had the kids, so I didn't get to talk to him. Did you go to the parade? Yes, that was on What'd you make of that? the day prior. It was warm, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, kind of the start of the summer. So no, that was good. Uh, in fact, we saw a great band I love, DMAs, were, were playing there that day, yeah. which was, I'd seen them a couple of days previously, and they, they were doing a kind of impromptu show, so we enjoyed that, which was kind of cool, um, and yeah, walked around a little bit, and really just enjoyed that whole uh, weekend and, and the atmosphere. I would have loved to get a ticket for the actual match, but... Ended up just having to make do with watching it at the, the house. We've got some great rivalries here in, our, in Australian rules football. You know, Carlton and Collingwood and Adelaide, when the two Adelaide teams play in Perth, etc. But there's nothing really like Rangers and Celtic. Can you give us an insight into what that rivalry is like and what the atmosphere is like if you go to an old firm derby? Yeah, it's, it's, it's in- incredible. Um yeah, it's it's like ninety minutes of just feeling everything. You you come out and your your ears are ringing, and the the result just means you know so much, and it can genuinely make your month if you win the match, and if you don't win the match or, or lose the match, it can really put you in a a downer, and you just want to go home and and go to your bed, which I've I've done a few times. Um, <laughs> But it's easier here if you lose, not that I've experienced that yet, because it's late at night and you can literally just go to your yes, bed. That's so, right. um, yeah, it's, it's an amazing match and it just it matters so much. It's kind of hard to explain it. A bit like the kind of sport here, unless you come here, it's kind of hard to explain it. But if you if you live in Scotland, you'll realise that 80, 90% of the, the sports coverage is about football, and of that, 80, 90% mm. is about two teams. And it's just like a, they say it's a goldfish bowl, and, you know, like the the chat for months is what's going to happen the next time Celtic play Rangers and then when the match actually arrives it's like just incredible and, and makes all the headlines um, and the games are like the, the two teams are massive rivals they're always fighting for trophies together mm. which increases the rivalry and there's obviously the kind of religious element as well and in, in that's kind of been historic um, that isn't always great to mm. be honest um, but as fair to say it adds to the, the rivalry so when Ange got appointed at Tottenham, there was some cynics, I guess, which you could understand. I mean, he did a great job at Celtic, but he's going to a big club in England that were not in a great position. As expected, Harry Kane, their best player, was about to leave. What do you think Ange could do at Tottenham straight away when he first got the job? Did you think it might be a slow burn or no, this guy actually could hit the ground running given what he's done at Celtic? Yeah, I've been surprised by just how quickly uh, and well he started because I did 
foresee a bit of a, a slow start and I thought the big question around about this time would be whether Spurs would, would you know, see the project through and want to stick with him. But he's made a, a spectacular start. I mean, it, it really is incredible and the the coverage he's getting down down in England now is, is amazing. Um, he's almost the most talked about manager in that league so far this mm. season, which is, is quite something and... Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't overall. I didn't have any doubts. I mean, I was on, you know, English radio, and they they wanted to ask all those questions about, you know, what's he like and how will he do, and it was just like history repeating itself. When he came to to Celtic at first, people were asking, well, sorry, we, I was asking Aussies, you know, you know, what's he like and and how will he do, and um, yeah, I had absolutely no doubt that he would be a, a massive success. And I know they're going through a little bit of a, a dip at the moment, but you know, I think that that draw at Man City will be a big kind of result and I think they'll they'll beat West Ham tomorrow and if they do I think they're level with Man City they're only a few points mm. off Arsenal at the top so it's just been an incredible start I don't think they're going to win the league but um, this season anyway but I think Angel certainly win that league either with Spurs or another team at some stage yeah, West Ham they always get up against Tottenham it's yep. their big game of the year so Matty at the back's a big Spurs man he's uh, very nervous about it as well do you think the English pundits have got Ange yet because I noticed in his press conference before the West Ham game, someone said, oh, you got a lot of praise for the way you played against Man City. He said, well, after the game, I did. Because there were still questions going in. Do you need to be more conservative after the Chelsea game when he kept that high line? You know, some were saying it was naive. Do you still think there's some pundits over there that are still thinking he might buckle in the way he plays? But as we know, and you would have seen at Celtic, he's, he's got his principles and he doesn't change. Yeah, I mean, he's got his principles, but he always says that he doesn't just play attacking football mm. for attacking football's sake. He does it because he believes that's the best chance his team has to win. And yeah, it's again, it's just it's so funny because the same kind of narratives repeat themselves throughout his career. And it was the same in Scotland. You know, when you go into Europe against Real Madrid, can you play the same way? Yeah, you can. You might not win, but you can play the same way. And I think we've seen that already. So they'll get it eventually, just like everyone does. It makes sense, though, doesn't it? Take Ange out of the conversation, but what's the point of going to a team like Manchester City and mm. just sitting back and giving them 75% of possession? Because you know with the quality they got, they're going to get you at some stage. Surely mm. aren't you better off as an overall philosophy of trying to score and trying to hit them on the counter and try and ask, make them ask some questions of you? Yeah, I think you've got to give them something to, to think about because they're they're Man City, they're probably going to score a couple of goals anyway, mm. regardless of how you play. So the best chance you've got is trying to, you know, score a, a couple yourself. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the way he is as well. And he's 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 all in. So he can't, it's, it's just, no, it wouldn't be an Ange's personality to be kind of, oh, we might go a bit defensive. And if there's a chance to attack, attack, it's going to be, no, we're going to go for it. But I think is like, people just kind of make this assumption, you know, down south that, that playing attacking football is going to see you concede loads of goals and their mm. defence is actually, you know, some of their best players this season yep. have been their goalkeeper and, you know, Romero's been good and uh, Odogi, the, the left back and uh, Van de Veen. Van so, right, I mean, all those players yeah. have almost been the best players this season, which is interesting. So you mentioned before you think Ange will win the Premier League. Uh, I hope it's with Tottenham because it's been like, we've never done it. Um, but so do you think there might be an even bigger job in England for Ange one day? So I was having a conversation with, with, with someone and they were kind of putting forward the the, the kind of prospect. Who would he leave to go to? He's, he's not going to go, if he, and I'm sorry to do this to you, but if he does leave Spurs at, at some stage, he's not going to go to Arsenal um, because no. they're, they're rivals. Um, now Man City and Liverpool are, are the big two. Um, there's been a bit of falling out with, with Liverpool recently over that um, nine-man game and yeah. also the, the VAR cock-up <laughs> yes. and all of that stuff. Um and Man City could be an obvious one, but the only thing about Man City would be if it was like a proper challenge for him because mm. we know he loves a challenge right. and going into a club in a state and, and turning them around. So I'm wondering if, uh, you know, Barcelona or Real Madrid could, could be his next move. What about Man United? Spurs. Oh, they're just in crisis at the moment, I aren't know, they? So but I it's a challenge. Yeah. The fans would like the way he plays football. It's whether that's a step up from Spurs. Mm. I mean, if he, if he gets not at Spurs, the moment. If he gets Spurs to the stage where he's like challenging for league titles, they've got an amazing stadium, best stadium in the country, um, amazing training facilities. Apparently, um, you know, a blank checkbook. He, um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one where he would kind of go from there. 
Yep, just stay at Tottenham for a bit longer, and if that's okay. Let's get to the news. I've got a few more questions uh, for Hamish Carton on the other side. Here's the latest news headlines with Nathan Gardner. Thank you, Nathan. As Nathan mentioned there in the news, uh, day two of the tour match between Pakistan and the Prime Minister's eleven is underway. Uh, the skipper, Shah Massoud, still going. 174 not out. An early wicket for Jordan Buckingham, who's done very well. Four for 66 off his 20 overs. Pakistan now seven for 351. Hamish, we're getting some suggestions uh, for who you should follow in the AFL. Some are saying Carlton because of the navy blue of Scotland. Others are saying Geelong because they've got hoops like Celtic and they're blue and white like Scotland. And a smart, smart Alec Cam from Churnside Park. Don't go for the Bombers, my team, because they just don't win finals. I'm not sure if you're aware. They haven't won a final for 7,000 days, which you get reminded on a daily basis. So there's a few suggestions there. Just what about your experience in Melbourne overall? What were your expectations of Melbourne? Is, is it what you thought it would be? Is it different to what you thought it would be? Yeah, I don't, I don't really know what expectations I had. Um, yeah, I, I kind of... From again, what people had told me, I assumed I would turn up and it would be freezing cold and raining every single minute of the day. That's what some Aussies from sunnier climes had me had me feeling. But um, Sydney siders would have said that. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's not been the case. Like it's, um, I, I've quite enjoyed it. And coming from Scotland, it's been it's been very nice. So the, the weather kind of ticked that one off, and we've got the summer to look forward to. People are are great. You know, people have been lovely. We've met people here already um you know which has been great and yeah i knew they'd be obsessed with sport generally and i've I've found that so far um but kind of similar to back home to be honest i mean it's the other side of the world mm. but it, it feels like a neighboring country sometimes um so yeah i feel very very at home not been homesick once which which kind of tells you that you're in yep. a good place so no i'm loving it just on uh, Rangers and Celtic. There was some talk not long ago when Rangers changed manager that uh, one certain Australian might be in for the job. His name is Kevin Musket. That would have been a popular appointment among Celtic fans, wouldn't it? If Kevin Musket was uh, managing Rangers, not overly popular with the Celtic fans no. in the day, I would have thought. No, yeah, yeah. There's a few clips going around of him getting stuck in. I think he was that kind of player, wasn't oh, he? Just, was he ever? Just, just generally, I think he was even. Yeah, he was kind of mentioned as. As potentially next Celtic manager after Ange, you know, next Rangers manager after they they sacked Michael Beale recently. So he he must be due a, a kind of chance in Europe. You would think at some stage. Yeah, doing a good job uh, with Yokohama, where Ange uh, cut his teeth as well. Just a, a question about football in general. The story I think it was last week came out the suggestion that there might be a sin bin introduced in football. Surely that's not a good idea. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a fan of it. But to to echo Ange and and what Ange had to say, it's, it just seems like the decisions and the ideas being made are are just that they're not being made by you know football minded people. They can't be because they're just coming up with idea after idea that is almost weakening the game and making it less enjoyable. I just I, I really don't think it's it's a a glaring issue that needs sorted and, and but someone. Is is you know coming up with the idea of a sin bin? So I'm I'm not for that. Um, VAR is really frustrating me at the moment as well as it mm. probably is everyone. So, and every the amount of matches teams are playing, every tournament's getting bigger. Um, yeah, I don't really know where football is at the moment. Any other books in the works, or you'd like to write? Who knows? Um, yeah, I've had a couple of ideas. There's you know. Um, It'll probably be with a, a Celtic slant and, and hopefully an Aussie slant living here. Um, possibly looked at doing, you know, a, a Scottish man abroad in Australia, mm-hmm. giving thoughts on football or sport in general, or even just life in general. Um, I kind of thought there's a couple of uh, high-profile Aussies retired from football recently that played for my yeah. club, Tom Rogic and Aaron Moy. Maybe something could be could be done there. Well, but, they're both um, a bit of a mystery, to be honest. That's, that's we, what, we don't get much yeah. access to them, particularly Tommy Rogic. That's what kind of in, intrigued me. The fact they both retired within a few weeks of each other and both kind of out of the blue. No one's expecting mm. either to really retire. And they're both very quiet people, um, which is nothing wrong with that, but it kind of makes them more interesting. So that may be something I, I look at, although I've just uh, given my idea out live on radio. There so someone else will be away yeah, with oh, it. Hopefully now. no one uh, steals it. Uh, Bruno from Melton asked before I let you go. Um, I th- you touched on a little bit before, but what, what did you think overall of the standard of the A-League matches you, you've attended? Yeah, as I say, like I, I've enjoyed it and, you know, teams try to pass the ball and it's like an easy match to watch and the pitches are good. So, yeah, I've I've enjoyed the matches and they've all been quite 
you know, um, incident packed, especially that victory Adelaide yeah. game, a couple of red cards, a couple of goals. Um, yeah, it's just just the atmosphere. If you can just find a way to, you know, make the stadiums a bit fuller, then I think it will really, um, you know, add to the kind of the, the importance of the matches. But I, I totally get the, the difficulties that you have in this country. I mean, all the A-League teams are, are relatively new and it's finding fans for that. But, you know, I'm excited by the new kind of second division that, mm. that they're talking about yep. coming in. I think that could be good if you could get promotion and relegation going between the two. I think it could be good. There's big events coming up early next year in Melbourne, which I think you're attending. Australian Open, F1. Yep, very excited to worldwide events that I've watched for years on television and living in a city where those events are actually you know happening every year is, is crazy. So, yeah, the tennis in particular, I can't wait for. I'm going to be down every day, probably qualifying as well. So, yeah. Uh, Looking forward to it. Any magic left in Andy Murray? Oh, I'd love to see him. I'd, I've never, I've never seen him play. Um, so that that's kind of my, my dream. I'd love to see him. And, and obviously, the big news recently is that that Rafa Nadal mm. is coming back. I think Naomi Osaka is actually coming Jeez, back as yeah, well. Geez. So yep. there's a, there's a lot of big names returning. So it'd be great to see them all. Just one more before I let you go off the forty wings temper. What what are your memories of Mark Viduka at Celtic? Oh, come on, I'm far too young for that. <laughs> he watched him on tape. Yeah, I've seen some goals, He's but I can. I just remember people being unhappy with him because he, he refused to play a second half when mm. we lost to Inverness, Caledonian Thistle. Just very Mark Viduka. Has he, has he got a coffee shop in Melbourne or something uh, like that? I think he still lives overseas still. Right, Big okay. Dukes. Yeah, he's he's yeah he's remembered fondly, but um, yeah, one of your greatest players probably ever. Absolutely. Yeah. Not not by Liverpool fans when he scored four against them, playing for Leeds. But uh, no, we loved him. Hey, Hamish, great to meet you. Uh, thanks for coming in and uh, glad you're loving life in Melbourne so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. Thanks very much for having me.